You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. So, uh, I want to talk about Mank. Because David Fincher is like my top director of all time. And that's why we're sitting here talking about Mank. Because a movie that I wanted to see what he could do with the material. Eric, how the hell are you doing, buddy? I'm still registering from this movie, but just like you, David Fincher fan, I'm ready to go see some Mank, especially with a cast like this, too. Oh uh, Gary Oldman leading the way. I'm already sold off of that, you know, but then right. you keep on going on with uh, uh, a lot of these other people, and I, I, I'm, I'm just excited for it. But, um, oh, well, uh, I mean, also the black and white movie, you know, kind of these... Uh, Biographical drama about a uh, a writer, um, Herman Jacob uh, Mankiewicz, huh? Yeah, Who, uh, I've not really heard that... too much about. Oh, I did, I did. If you went into film, that's why I was excited about this. If you were in film school, you you got especially in, in script writing, screenwriting uh, classes. This guy was jammed down your throat. He was known for not doing a lot of good stuff. Mankiewicz was known as a first draft writer. So, so, so getting Citizen Kane here was just a big deal for him. He wrote Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you knew that. Among the screenplays he wrote or worked on besides Citizen Kane were The Wizard of Oz, The Man of the World, uh, Dinner at Eight, Pride of the Yankees, and The Pride of St. Louis. Right. And see, a lot of stuff he gets is he doesn't get a lot of credit. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. That's also brought up in this movie. Uh, you know, about getting credit for, at the, t- at the time it was called American, but Citizen Kane... Uh, because he was more so like just the just the idea man, as we can see when they're gambling and they're around the table. So were you expecting, I mean, like, you never heard of him. What were you expecting from this movie with Fincher? I, you know, I really don't know. You know me, and I like to, you know, if I'm going to buy the ticket, I don't want to read any more into it. I knew right. that we were going to do Mank. I knew that David Fincher had directed it and that Gary Oldman was in it. And I was okay with that. I don't need to learn anything more. But through um, just a quick synopsis, a synopsis of, of what I had read about him, uh, about this movie, it was just about a screenwriter who worked with Orson, Orson Welles and were just living kind of in the day in the life of this person. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I got out of this, at least uh, before I watched it. So I don't know about you. Well, yeah, I mean, I watched trailers. I, I, I started to once. See, I'm opposite of you, buddy. Uh, I mean, like when when I put something on the schedule, I got to get behind the scenes stuff. I got to get interviews. I got to get everything I can just consume myself into that movie. So I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm glad I did, because this movie doesn't make sense for Fincher to make. Nothing happens in this movie. Fair warning, fans are listening. If you're looking for a nice red bottle of wine sitting there for two and a half hours. That's what you're going to sit there with some wine and watch the movie because nothing happens. It's a black and white drama. Very dry. Very, very dry. You're right. And there was not much arc to these characters at all. Um, Nothing. There was no violence, car chases, action, really not a lot of romance either. Just, Dude's talking. But the reason why Fincher made this movie, I don't know if you know this or not, but David Fincher's father was actually a a screenwriter. Did you know that? I did not know. Okay, so that's how Fincher got in the business. Uh, So go off uh, Fincher real quick here. 
Um, Fincher's dad was in the business as a scriptwriter. His name was Jack Fincher. His actual name is Howard, but he went by Jack. I don't know why. But Fincher uh, got into the movie biz because he started to be a music video director. He started to direct all of Madonna's music videos. Hot uh, damn. Um, well, those are some, some hot uh, The big ones there. would be uh, Vogue. Okay. Well, Vogue would be the big one that he did with Madonna. And then all of a sudden he got a phone call from 20th Century Fox that said, hey, we have no script. We have all these actors. We have all these sets in Pinewood Studios. We're shooting Alien 3. Get here and try to make something. And that's how his career took off. Huh. So he goes and makes Alien 3, becomes best friends with Charles Dunn, hence why he's... No, not Charles Dunn. Charles Dance, thank you. Charles Dance, who was in that movie, if you remember. Yes. He was the doctor. He was the uh, doctor, became, yes. Became buddies with him, made a comment to him that he said that he'll always do a movie with him in the future. He hasn't made much with him since. And then he goes and makes the game. And why I'm telling you all this is he goes and makes the game. And while he's filming the game, his dad is writing a script called Mank. And after the game, he was really pushing David Fincher to do this movie. And Fincher already signed a contract to do Fight Club. Unfortunately, his dad died of cancer in 2003, so Fincher has been sitting on the script for years, ever since the game, and now he's just like, eh, I can do whatever I want. They didn't change much. This is pretty much his father's original script. That's why the credited writer is only Jack Fincher. Interesting. So that's how this whole thing came about. Well, I, I thought that so was this was more of like a passion project then, huh? I don't feel it's a passion project or more of I want to honor my father because Mank was his father's hero inspiration when it comes to screenwriting. So he wanted to honor his father some way. I, I don't think it was a passion for well, him. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm taking that uh, interpretation differently than I'm saying passion. Like he, he took it personally. Right. And this is something that he wanted to do in reflection of his father. Yes. What do you think of that story, though? I mean, I think that story is interesting. I think it's better than the movie. Really, you think it's better than the movie? This, the way that this movie was was done, like I understand, it took me a while to get it, but the way I first described it after finishing this movie was that this was an hour of build for an hour of movie, because mm. it's a two hour long movie, and I feel like the first part of it was really just kind of, uh, um, again, just just character introduction, and this is what roles that they play, and this is kind of their alliance you know it's like the, these are the chaotic neutral people these are the people who are you know uh, uh you know the, the 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 ones that are running the show and making all the calls and these are the people who have to listen to them you know uh the, the narrative wells too are in there as well and it's just that's what i felt the first half of this movie was and then we get kind of the the troublesome conflict that is showing itself somewhat in politics halfway around this movie right and then the second half of the movie we get that this was um well we get more of the story uh, the the reasoning the answers to to kind of these questions as to what's going on in this movie <laughs> and uh yeah I, that's when i really started to more pay attention also because i started to uh, at the second half of the movie turned on the subtitles which i was able to understand the movie a lot easier with that 
as well too. I did um, that myself the second time. I was like, I got, I, I, I gotta get out the subtitles. I don't understand either. I'm getting old, or they're doing something. If you notice too, because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, a lot of the men and a lot of the well, actually all the characters, the men and women, uh, their uh, tone, uh, their pitches were higher. I was like, is that something wrong with my TV? And me being the research guy, Fincher did that because that was the the tone like in the 50s you know like the radio hey everybody how you doing you know what i mean that kind of thing it was quick it was sharp um it was uh, a lot of the references i didn't pick up because it was a lot of name dropping from from this and that you know and very in the know type of thing right now here's the funny thing before we get into the actual movie i was saving this for a little bit later for you but you know how contracts are always always around with Hollywood and people get paid. Like for example, Jack Nicholson still makes a paycheck off of Batman because he signed away rights. You know what I mean? So, um, but Kevin Spacey and Jodie Foster both make money off of this movie because they were the originals casted after the game in 1997 to be in this movie and they just never made it. So therefore they got paid for it. For this movie, Mank? Kevin Spacey was, 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 was originally picked to be Mank. That was going to be Fincher's next movie. And then Jodie Foster was going to be uh, the Amanda Seinfeld uh, role. Uh, Marion. Marion. Yeah. Uh, That's oh, I did, did not know that. But, man, contracts, uh, credit to, to, to their managers, to their agents. <laughs> you didn't know that about Jack Nicholson, by the way, off-key? Oh, listen, I thought it was uh, um, that he had signed on for – that he was uh, – what, what is it? Uh, um he he's getting studio studio checks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he uh he was supposed to come in for Batman three and they never did. And so did Damon Waynes. He was supposed to be Robin. So Damon Waynes and Jack Nicholson still make a check off of Batman Forever. Yeah, I, there's a name in. there's a name for it. I'm trying to think of it. Royalty. Like, uh, um, yeah, cool. yeah, I thought I thought there was a lingo for it, but maybe I'm just uh, imagining right. maybe I dreamed of that. But yeah, they're they're getting um royalties from Oh my God! It's something like like dated. I'm gonna hurt myself trying to think. Right. Of <laughs> I want also talk about. I mean, like the uh, the critics have, have completely praised this film. They have praised the direction. They praised they praise the cinematography, the production design, also the performances. They're calling Oscar. When I press play on this movie, Eric, I felt like this movie was straight up in the fucking 40s. Like it looked good like it looked like a movie from the 40s if you notice the camera speed was a little bit faster the blacks were blacks the uh the whites were whites you notice that i like appreciated that and oh, also uh the uh the the uh the acid uh screen change or the, the acid right. transitions right that was good i also liked um how he put cigarette burns digital cigarette burns in the corner yeah did you catch that i did catch that too that um, was something that uh that, that i caught and i was that. like well that's that's a nice little uh yeah i enjoyed that actually and i also enjoyed uh and one of the flashbacks when we see mank in the car accident when they were driving before the accident uh clearly soundstage screen behind them stationary car did that on purpose loved it uh this movie is shot this i've always argued that social network was fincher's uh, most beautifully shot film. This one beats it hands down. This one's gorgeous to look at. When you this have move attention to detail, yeah, I, I think there was a lot of it that was there. Um, the wardrobe was fantastic as well, too. Just uh, and again, the lingo because they they really kept true to a lot of the lingo that they were using. You know, I, I heard some sixes and sevens uh, uh, references. You know, and 
uh, you know, they use nerds a lot. It, it just a, a lot of what was going on at the times, I think they really stuck true to um, to that era of 1930s, 1940s. You know, obviously, having grown up in that time, you know, I can, can relate to that. <laughs> well, this is my favorite era in, in Hollywood. I mean, people call this the golden age. Uh, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the movies they came out during this time, but I just like what was going on in Hollywood. This the soap opera that was Hollywood. So I'm definitely film school geek nerding out right now on Fincher. He's all over my face right now. So let's move that aside. <laughs> I kind of calm down because I feel like this is Jordan just jerking off to Fincher. You're biased a bit. Is, I'm and biased it's showing. a bit. But uh, I almost fell asleep a few times. This movie's dry. Um, I actually don't think Gary, Gary Oldman's performance was really that great. Um, I thought... There's no arc with him. And, right. it very, and it was very, very hard for me to go along with him on his alcoholism and being nominated for an Oscar. And just it was it was hard to really like him. He was he was a scoundrel. No, I, I, I agree that he's like this this uh, reckless uh, drunk who doesn't really seem to have any care for anyone else but himself. And uh, it just kind of unfiltered, you know, just really says what he thinks out loud and. And his wife stays with him the whole time. There was a sad line that she had given towards the end when he had asked, because he asked her periodically throughout the, the film, why do you put up with me? Why are you still with right. me? Why do you love me? And All these things. And um, when it came to that point or that part of the movie when he had asked, why are you still with me? And we finally get an answer where she's just like, I've, you know, I've committed too much to this. I just want to see how it ends, basically. I know. And she does. Like, She's with damn. him all the way till he's dead. He dies in 1955, and she she was with him all the way to the end. He was 55 years old, right, when he died? Yes. Yep. Cardiac arrest. Due to complications of alcohol. Probably the same way that uh, Amy Winehouse went. Probably the same way Orson Welles went, too. No, was he just fat? Uh, we'll just go a little bit of both. Let's go a little bit of both. Um, one of the things that, again, I am showing bias, but I'm not. But I, I, I keep on saying that I love just because I just like this, this golden age of Hollywood because there was so much sleaze and nonsense going on behind the scenes than just the movie. I mean, clearly this is a boys club. What is it? Like, uh, like towards the beginning of the film, you had one of these rookie writers come into the writing room and they all meet each other. And, and, and you have a girl with her boobs out with tassels on her nipples no, yeah. for no reason. The the uh, the secretary she's behind a typewriter I believe too right? and and they don't even acknowledge it like I just found that f interesting funny it was just like huh they don't even acknowledge it there's a woman with her breasts out but okay yeah, I'm surprised okay, they didn't color toots or anything they they should have this was clearly a boys club well yeah obviously again it's to the to kind of the times of of what it was and I again like I I see your appreciation for the filmmaking of this movie because I would agree to it. It was probably the one thing that kept me invested in this movie was how pretty it was. I mean, for something even in black and white, the scenery and like the backdrops looked amazing. It was, they were full of detail and a lot of that era of those, those types of movies, they really, those little, those small details like, um, Oh, okay. Here's one thing that I really enjoyed. Cause one thing that I really enjoy, I don't know why it's like the ASMR, from these old movies, is they added a lot of their footsteps. You can hear the scuffle, the shuffing, the, the dragging of their shoes on the on the mm -hmm. floors, you know, the click, click, clicks of wherever they're going. Right. And they did that a lot in this. Especially, the Philly look is great. Yeah, 
and I enjoyed that. And they did a lot of the, the different shots of it too, um, where it was like the, the kind of the close-ups where it was just like, you know, framing the person right here and, uh, you know, maybe a doorway and then, you know, say your lines and then cut to the other one. So restricted in the, in the, in the view uh, and not like uh, something you get later on with Alfred Hitchcock, who was like doing, you know, corner views, you know, and kind of a, a moving cameras and stuff like that, yeah. too. These are you're right. You're right. Yeah, these you're right. Because this movie, he, he does not move the camera. You're right. These are shot. Say your line shot. Say your line and then move on to the next one. So I I, I really do. You know, uh, those little details. I enjoyed it. It really did feel like this was kind of, well, an older golden era movie it, it, it took you back it was like a time capsule piece you know like uh people said i'm not trying to compare and it came out so long ago but but people who saw back to the futures you can see old youtube interviews and stuff of audience members you know youtube god bless it and people were just like that's exactly how it was in the 50s like i can't believe they made it so well you know that's that's kind of where i think with mank you know it's like i bet that's exactly how it looked like in the 30s and 40s like just just the speak the clothing the lingo um one of the most important scenes in the movie that i found actually the most boring is when uh mank and um amanda seifeld what's what's her name again uh marion marion uh go on a drunken stroll around the castle grounds yeah uh, that right there is the whole movie. They're telling you character plots, political stuff, all the film history. And I almost fell asleep. Not, I'm not lying. Yeah, no, I, it was I have not, to agree with you. I was nodding off a little bit in, in that part too. But again, I, I don't. I, I never switched into the gear of this movie. Yeah, it's it's very hard to switch in this gear. I mean, like, I mean, you have to be like an uber geek of this kind of genre at this golden age of Hollywood more than me to sit back and really be like, Oh, this is wonderful. You know, like, uh, like they took me back to Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, like nothing happens in that movie until like the last 15 minutes. And you're like, Oh yeah. You know what I like? Nothing happens. It's just talking. No, no, I, and uh, the same thing for a lot of like older westerns or even like older Japanese films too. You know, um, there was a movie that I remembered, uh, like a, a Harry Carey, or even um, or even like a, a, a oh damn it, the, the well, Magnificent would be, Seven. You know, where Magnificent it's just Seven, yeah, where it's just like you're you're building everything up to have like this grand finale of an ending. But here's the thing about with this movie, I didn't feel like I got this build and i don't feel like i got this grand ending the only maybe grand ending that i could think of or or you know the the the, the height of uh with the confrontation of the conflict is when mank interrupted their uh costume party mm -hmm. and kind of goes in and, and basically insultingly gives his storyline for citizen kane which he yeah. plans to write um kind of as a is a new interpretation of Don Quixote um, with Charles Dance's character, uh, William Randolph Hearst, I think, who is a uh, politician uh, too. Who's a, well, uh, yeah, and he's like big money. He owns the newspapers. He's the producer for a lot of MGM. And he basically just goes in there and slaps into his face. He's like, well, you know what? I know what you guys, what game you guys are playing. And I ain't about that shit. I'm gonna. This is what I'm gonna write. 
It's going to be about you. And that's the only thing that I got. But it was sad because it wasn't. there was no victory. There was no closure to it. He throws up because he's drunk, and then he gets kicked out. But he then goes and writes, at that time, one arguably one of the best screenplays of all time. So yeah. I guess there is a win for him. There is. I mean, he he will ever be, um, you know, in the, the halls of, obviously, uh, as an Academy Award winner for your right, probably, if I were to, to look up a lot of lists, a lot of voted lists right now um, throughout the ages of whether it be just AMC or Turner Classic or, you know, or whatever you want to say, Citizen Kane is probably going to be up there as one of the greatest movies of all time. And you know what? And here's the thing. And I've I even said this. I remember this in film school. Like I was not your typical film school stereotypical nerd. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to make movies. I wanted to make Hollywood movies. Like I remember this one time. I don't know if I shared you this story off air. And there's a point to me telling you this. But uh, w- one of our professors wanted us to make uh, like a black and white uh, piece about who we are, at, like some sort of an expression piece. And she showed us her piece, which was 10 minutes of the camera on a tripod, tripod, tripod and just having her dad cut down a tree with an axe until the tree falls down. And then she turns off and goes, what's the symbolism behind that? And then she comes to me and she what do you think? Your dad cut down a tree. Yeah, plain and simple. It's basically like whatever the hell yeah. that Nir- Nirvana movie was of him walking in in the woods for an hour. Last and a days. Half. Yeah. Last days. No, I mean like that's what it was like, and like everybody was like, "Oh, it's a metaphor about this and that," and it's like, ah, just, just shut up. But with that though, I've said then, I've said now, I don't think that Citizen Kane deserves the hype that it gets. The script is actually very, very basic. It's a very basic story. If anybody who's ever seen it before, you can tell the basic plot within five minutes, if that. It's just the difference is is that you had this young director of Orson Welles who wanted to do something completely different. And, you know, he did some new shots with camera tricks that's never been done before. That's really it. I, I mean, I don't see Citizen Kane as anything as this masterpiece that people bow down to. Well, I'm, I would I'm, I'd probably say it's relevance as well, too. Like, it's hard for us to relate. Obviously, we have so many other great cinematic pieces to compare it to because it's, you know, it, it's, it has to stand the, t- the test of time. This movie came out, what, 1940, 1941? That's what I'm seeing. And since then, you, you have, you know, almost... Uh, close to a millennia now of movies that have come out after that. No, you're right. I mean, like, I mean, you and I are kind of in a bad spot because before then, all they had that was great would be what uh, Birth of a Nation, Gone with the Wind. You like those movies that were considered great Oscar films. Back I mean, sure, but we could put this up Mr. against uh, uh, Citizen King. We could put it up against something like I don't know, like a Forrest Gump or like a Shawshank Redemption. You know, something that has swept awards before, and right. uh, with with story based and, and just but again, there's, there's the relevance part of it, right? Right. I I don't know. Like I just that was just my two. I respect Citizen King for what it did to film. But when I hear people say, you know, like this is the greatest film of all time, nothing ever compares. It's like, eh, I got like a hundred more that are probably in the same ballpark. I appreciate that this movie was 
we got to see in two hours here the what came out of the spite. Yeah. What came yeah. from from Manx's uh, his resentment from what he saw that MGM and uh, um, whoever the hell uh, Hertz was doing WR Hertz was mm-hmm. doing behind the scenes, and probably because he was so disgusted with himself for giving the idea of making a propaganda film uh, initially. This is where we. This is where the movie turns. Everyone is that. Um, mm-hmm. Is that he's like this washed up kind of a screenplay writer, and uh, uh, one of the studio execs, right? I think uh, asked for a meeting and was pissed off because uh, just like, hey, Mank, you know, uh, all of us here at the studio have all been donating to uh, the the Merriman Party, uh, you know, the Republican Party. Why haven't you donated? And at first he was just like, it doesn't involve me. I'm here to make movies. Why the hell should I give a shit? Right. Uh, it's like, well, it's only ten bucks. Come on, man. I know you're good for it, especially because of all your gambling. Like, we can just add that onto your debt. You know, just, just, you know, just come on. Like, play along here. Play the game here, buddy. And then Mink just is what his great exit, which is like, you guys can can make uh, people believe that there's a uh, ten story tall gorilla. You guys can make uh, people believe that a uh, forty year old Mary was a virgin. So yeah, I'm pretty sure you can make people believe that Merriman is the right guy too. And then he leaves. And then we get, you know, the, not the birth obviously, cause then we had, you know, Hitler obviously, um, as a, around there too, but one of the starts of a propaganda film. And no, you're, you're Yeah. It, 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 remember the one guy, his, his friend Shelly, who admitted yeah. he had Parkinson's and, and then when the, and when, and then when their candidate didn't win, yes, yes, he did win. That was, uh, uh Irving, the, uh, the editor, uh, yeah, Shelley he, was one of the actors. He was the one that first broke it to Mink because we got to see him in like three different pieces. He's just a studio actor, an extra. And uh, same with one of the other guys, too. And they were out of work. And then suddenly the next day he's back in work. And he asks, oh, well, what kind of work are you doing? He's like, oh, the studio just asked us to come in looking like hobos, basically. Tattered is garb. that the guy that killed himself? No, Irving was the guy who killed himself. He was his name the, was Shelley that killed himself. No, Shelley uh, died later on. Uh, but Shelley and Irving are, are separate people. No, yeah, it does. No, I'm looking at it. I'm sorry to call you out. It says, Director Shelley Metcalf shoots and kills himself after being diagnosed with Parkinson's and the guilt ridden over his role in the smear campaign. They called him Irving. That's, that's what it says right here. It says, Herman's colleague Sherman Metcalf shoots and kills himself after being diagnosed with Parkinson's and guilt ridden over his role in the smear campaign. Interesting. Uh, because I bet you So that's can... the bomb? I had thought so, but uh, yeah, here, the, uh, as I'm looking at the cast, Irving, uh, oh, you know what? Irving is the is the producer. You're right. Excuse okay. me. Shelley is, is the editor. Irving was the uh, was the producer, the young producer that um, gave the go-ahead to make the uh, propaganda uh, film. Propaganda. He, he was the, the young genius uh, hotshot from the East. You're, you're very right then. Yes, I got mixed up with the names. And then, I mean, that's pretty much the conflict of the film. But then the one thing that always kind of like Marty McFly's chicken thing, uh, he kept on getting called the court gesture. That was like a big thing. Like they kept on saying court gesture. It was only once or twice, but it was like you could tell that really hurt him. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you know, like just really especially during the um, party scene, the. Um, yeah, the yeah, uh, what, what you, whatever you would call that that scene, uh, the the. 
the costume scene, yeah. If you want to right. And then, of course, the big conflict at the end is when they is is when they weren't going to give him credit as well. And you know, I'm sorry. There was one thing I actually really wanted to talk about that I forgot. There is probably some sort of a character plot with 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 Mank, is that uh, he's at a farmhouse. He breaks his leg and he's not typing, so he has these women. One from England, I believe, and one from Germany. Correct. And and he's just laying there, thinking the story, and they're writing it down, whatever type of. And then and then the uh, the English girl was pissed in about something I forget. And uh, pretty much what I'm trying to get at is that is that you find it from the German assistant that Mank like is help freeing her and like a hundred people from her village. Um, so she'll do whatever he says, and he's actually a good guy and stuff. So I was like, that's actually a very interesting plot point. I think she was, yeah, it was. Uh, I think she was upset initially just because of the disappointment. Like, they're here to do a job. They're very, very, very behind Alcohol. schedule. And, and he's just the drunk. He's yeah. more focused on drinking uh, rather than doing the work. And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, because this is part uh, that I we were questioning about a little bit, is... Um, the the fixed booze that was originally uh, put in uh, to like a travel case or something yeah to his travel case uh, sent by Orson Welles was that a, a a sedative to to kind of get him off the booze to get him out of it because Orson Welles didn't like him drinking or was that was that just him just just going crazy with it. You know what I think? I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think it was a goddamn tranquilizer because he drank the bottle, then he completely was knocked out. Yeah, he drank a few more after that too, and he just knocked. And then, and then finally, he got the real booze, and then he was happy. Uh, but they didn't want to give him credit as well. And like Orson Welles was just going to take it and redo it, and that big conflict at the end. And then finally, uh, he got joint credit, and then him and Orson Welles won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay. So that's that's the end. I thought the movie's gonna end with the death of Mank, because that's usually how these kind of movies end. Well, we got the we got the text that said that he was instead, right? Right, but I would have, you know, that's how these kind of movies end. Yeah, yeah. Instead, we got kind of the uh, the quick post of of them uh, them being Mank and uh, Orson Welles, um, obviously not getting along, and excuse me, and uh, them just kind of well calling it what it is yeah. and and just being like fine yeah he did his thing i did my thing we both won an award that's hollywood who cares move on yeah which this this movie tanked too by the way in the so quote-unquote box office back in the day this movie was like kind of like the shawshank like nobody saw it nobody cared and then it and like it won awards at, but nobody cared and then later just gained legs well you know, I, that's what citizen kane was i wonder if it was the politics behind it where if uh the character uh, Hearst actually did push against it and was just like, no. But uh, maybe the star power of Orson Welles uh, gave it something. Well, I think so. I think so. I just, again, that's why I've always, that's why I've been saying throughout the show that I just love the golden age of Hollywood because I think what's more entertaining is that what was going on behind the scenes in the actual movies. Just, just, just the complete boys club, mob rule, politician mentality. It was just crazy. Yeah, it was an interesting to see in that part. Um, but for it to be the only conflict in this movie, it really didn't. It it's didn't, dry. It, it didn't justify. Yeah, you're right. It's very dry. It didn't justify the two hours that I, I had spent watching it. 
No. And, you know, I think that Fincher, before we get into our popcorn ratings, I think that since Fincher did this as, like you said, a passion project for his father, uh, and they didn't change the script, Jack Fincher is the only writing credit on this, from what I've seen. So yeah, this was his dad's original script from the 1990. 1990 is when his dad wrote the script. I think that if this was floating around Hollywood, I think that if Fincher created this himself, I think there would be more of a conflict, more of a Fincher-esque drama to it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, but again, this was just something that he just did for his dad. So that's why I'm kind of curious to see would have been interesting. And that's my question to you is, do you think this movie could have been better if it was, if this is a word, Fincherized? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it could have highlighted the drama, uh, the tension between uh, Louis B. Mayer, uh, between uh, Hearst, between William Randolph Hearst, and between Mank. They could have they could have really capitalized off of that a lot more. They could have capitalized off of Shelley's death uh, a mm -hmm. bit more and how torn this guy was and, and you know, made a little bit more, or they could have um, really made uh, this this Irving guy, this this studio, this young hot chopper studio uh, executive, excuse me, uh, more of an enemy as well too. Like they could have right. done a lot of it too, or maybe Marion, uh, the Amanda Seyfried uh, character, uh, as more of the the loved lost uh, person, or the one that got away type of thing. You know, the 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 untouchable that uh, he can look, you know, uh, can't touch kind of thing. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. You're so right, Eric. They, yeah. yeah, they could have done, yes, but that could be said for a lot of other movies as well, too. But yeah, I think they're, um, with the Fincher effect, they could have added a little bit more, a lot more uh, drama into this movie to make it more interesting. I would have, too. Totally agree with you. I would I would have rather have seen that. But he did it out of respect for his dad. I don't know if this was a our first draft or what, but that story itself about Fincher and his dad is very interesting to me. And hell, I like to see that movie. You know, so I learned something today and I thought it was great. I thought it was something I didn't know that till I was watching the movie. So anyway, let's get into our popcorn ratings. Um, I just, you know, Eric, I'll, I'll, I'll say the best for last. I'll let you go last, but thanks. <laughs> uh, for me, it's, it actually is a medium bag. Uh, my wife watched it with me a little bit as she goes, it is a small bag. And I was like, it, it's, it's Fincher. There's not a single Fincher movie in my opinion that deserves a small bag. This is definitely his weakest overall films uh, that he's made. Uh, Cinematography-wise, it's definitely his strongest. But this is—it's dry. It's weak. Um, it doesn't add anything great to Fincher's filmography. Hell, I think Panagroom, which people say is his worst, is better than this. Yeah. Uh, uh, people also say that Curious Case of Benjamin Button is his second worst. I think that's more enter entertaining than this. Um, but we are, but you and I both were praising this: the set decoration, the costumes, uh, the cinematography, the way it was like the editing with the cigarette burns and the fades. Like Fincher definitely did his history; he definitely did his research, and for that, it's it's definitely not a smog bag because of that. And also, the actors were not bad; they did that, they they did what was on the page. So I I can't knock them for it, but it's not a large bag territory. It's good. I'm glad I've seen it. I don't think you who are listening would be interested in this if you're not a film buff at all. So that's why you may want to skip it, but medium bag. Medium bag all across for Mank. Eric, what say you? What is your popcorn rating for Mank? So this is a that's a tough one. Um and I might I might change 
my my rating later on. I initially want to say smaller, a small bag, maybe with some extra fixing, fixings on it here, just because again, I I do agree this was beautifully shot. I and, I, and I, those details from the era really showed itself in in this movie. I appreciated that, but the runtime and the subjects uh, or the topics in this movie just didn't seem to do anything or go anywhere for me. You know, I, I it felt mm-hmm. again. I, I seem to. I feel like I'm repeating this a lot with a lot of the. We're complaining about this. The same thing of a lot of these movies is that in two hours you could have you could have told this story in half the time. You could have added uh, some extra fluff to it. You could have added more with Upton Sinclair, who, by the way, was played by uh, Bill Nye, the science guy in this movie. I saw that. I I was like, who is that? And I Googled it. I was so, like, ah. Yeah, you could have added a, a bit more of, of that. If you wanted to make it politics, it, you could have added a bit more of that um, in into this movie. And you, you could have gone a couple different directions into this movie, but they stuck on not just Mank, but like just the Mank and his story and like the, the birth of Citizen Kane of the script. That's kind of what the main star of this movie was, was the script. Mm. And it, it really wasn't anyone else. Now, I'm not saying that anyone here, uh, the actor wise did a bad job. They all did a great job. And again, the costumes were great and everything else. I had no complaints about that. This just really just seemed just to kind of be a good movie to nap through. It was a two hour, just dry piece of, of, of movie. Um, I'm not going to say it was bad by any means. I'm just saying it it didn't catch, it didn't hold my interest, you know, until again, later on. And when I was, I guess, so invested, just like the wife, just like poor Sarah, I was so invested in this movie that I just wanted to see how it ended. Right. Right. This movie definitely was a napper. Like this is a movie that you fall asleep to and wake up and you don't miss anything. Yeah. uh, So I'll have to go. I'm putting extra butter on it just because again, I, I, there were parts where, I, I found myself kind of scratching my chin and being like, oh, okay. And then the parts where it clicked together where this was, he's making the script out of uh, um, Vengeance, I guess, if you want to call it that, just because of his roots too. And you get to hear a little bit about his uh, Jewish background and, and his um, intent and, and that part too. I get that. And we get little nods of Hitler here and don't worry about it there. But I'm I'm okay with never seeing this movie again. Um, if people ask me, if hey, would you recommend this movie? I would just say no. I could just tell you about this movie in about ten minutes. You know, yeah. listen to right. this episode, and and you got yourself the whole movie. I can't believe in the movie that one of the characters said to Mank, "Why, why the name Rosebud?" I heard that's one of the guys' pet names for his woman's lady bits. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, if that." And then here's the funny thing: is that he he blew it off, and he was like, "I don't know what you're talking about," kind of thing. So I just found that funny that us quoting Rosebud. Could mean all this time some dude's nickname for his wife's lady bits. It was uh, quite That's obvious that he did not like that. He started to hate this guy. Right. I just thought it was funny. Like, yeah. what if? What if that was the case? Like, oh, a lot of his, of Manx's uh, witty one-liners or, or comebacks were, were great. Like, I found myself doing a little chuckles at a lot of them, too, because he, he was good at it. Like, he knew what to say at the appropriate time. He was good at it. And I, I liked that part or of the character. Yeah, he uh, felt untouchable. Least. Yeah. He just seemed to kind of just uh, 
But again, he, he almost like like an Arthur type character where he was just drunk most of the time, and right. that was the comedy of it and the yeah. tragedy of it as well. It is. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this most recent episode of Movie Guys Podcast. Next week, we're coming back with a brand new movie review again. This one you can check out on HBO Max. It's The Little Things starring Jared Leto and Denzel Washington. This one I'm really excited for. I have not seen a good, like, stalker, whodunit kind of killer movie. And Jared Leto is doing very well in those kind of movies. So I'm kind of curious what he has to do. I'm not a Denzel Washington guy. I haven't liked him pretty much since training day. So it's been a long time for me. Wow. Um, yeah, just I can't, dis- I can't disrespect John Q like that, huh? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Fuck John Q, Book of Eli, all that. Uh, <laughs> was it, uh, didn't he do like a remake of Taking a pen- Pendulum 1, 2, 3, or whatever? Yeah. Just, yeah, was, he was in that train good. movie too, wasn't he? Well, no, that's the train movie. Oh, uh, no, no, well, the Pelham, oh, was it? Yeah, though, that's the, that's the train movie. We're just going to call it the train movie. Yeah, though, that's, I mean, I just, I'm just, I'm not a Denzel fan. But uh, from what the trailers have shown, have you seen the trailers? I know you're not a trailer guy, but if you check this out, you know what you're getting yourself into. Oh yeah, I, I'm okay. I'm I'm on board. I you know I'm ready to I'm go. I'm on board. I'm on board for this one. So next week we'll be coming back. Boot up your HBO Max subscription base, people, because we'll be checking out that movie next week. But like always, you can find us out at movieguyspodcast.podbean.com on all the social media platforms you can think of. And Eric, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode, and we'll be back next week for The Little Things. Have a good night.